and we're live. Welcome back, Thronians, Game of Thrones people, Game of Fr- Thrones fanatics. We're so glad you're joining us for a recap of episode one of the final season of Game of Thrones. What an episode, Marcy. What an episode. I mean, what? I feel like the whole, uh, I mean, <laughs> I want to say like the whole world came together last night to watch, which was such a kind of amazing thing to see um, on social media, just the connectiveness of like literally the entire world is watching this show and has been waiting for this show for like two years. So such a great night. I'm just so glad that like I have the HBO now so I can get the East Coast feed because you started and then I was like, <laughs> I'm starting too. So that way, like, I was free and clear so I could go back on Twitter like around seven. So I don't know if you saw this, but DirecTV now accidentally dropped the episode even earlier than um, than what you got it. Um, I saw that Joanna Robinson from Vanity Fair, who is probably my favorite Game of Thrones podcaster, had said, hey, everyone, stay off Twitter if you don't want to see spoilers because DirecTV now accidentally leaked it. Um, so uh, some people got to see it at like three in the afternoon. Um, my brother, cool. Brent, my brother, Brent, my husband and I, we, we waited until nine. We, we did a full rewatch of, um, the final episode of season seven. I obviously had watched the entire thing, but it was just, it was very exciting. It was. And, you know, I felt the entire time I was just holding my breath. Wait. See, I, I was holding you close in my heart, John. <laughs> you're always holding me close in your heart. <laughs> and you're also always holding me close in your heart on Twitter, where, where you can follow the show at Pop Theologians on Facebook and Twitter. And you can follow me at jerickson85. And Marcy, where can we follow you? You can follow me at I am the men who can. Um, I was live tweeting this show. Uh, sure trying very hard to simultaneously do nods to what's happening, but make them ambiguous enough that like, if anyone is like reading my tweets, I'm not spoiling it. If you haven't seen the episode. You do it also in like GIF format. So like, it's pretty like, you know, GIFs are my love language. <laughs> they are. So I don't know if like John, you, I, we've talked about this, like you didn't grow up with like youth group and indoctrination, but I did. And the five love languages always made me laugh. It's like this book about like how we all experience love and whatnot. And like, it's like touch and like quality time and a bunch of other shit. And for me, I'm like, it's gifts. Like I just love a good gift or a good meme. And like, that's it. Like, that's how you get to my heart. So that is true. That's so like a strong drink, strong drink and a good drag queen. <laughs> Speaking of great drag queens, <laughs> let's skip to the second story of what the fuck happened this week. But Marcy, what the fuck happened this week? <sighs> okay. So I don't know if we've talked about this yet with season three. Um, I am a Catholic theologian by trade. Uh, my master's and I'm a PhD candidate in, in perpetuity at this point, um, has been in Catholic theology. <laughs> exactly. Um, so we have something really strange in the Catholic church right now, which is we technically have two popes. That's not supposed to happen, but, um, everyone knows that Pope Benedict, AKA Voldemort, uh, Ratzinger, um, he stepped down, uh, and then Pope Francis, who everyone calls cool Pope, who I call shitty Pope with better PR, um, took over. But something weird happened this week, and it's shitty it's Pope with better PR. 
that's all he is, man. Uh, this is actually really fucking weird. So Pope Benedict Ratzinger Voldemort put out this document um, that <laughs> he, I guess he wanted to address the child sex abuse scandals. Uh, and I hate using the word scandal because there, there's something about that that victimizes the victims. So the sex abuse um, cover up in the Catholic church and he blamed it on the loose morals of the sexual revolution of the sixties. Um, this is preposterous, but, but I, like I've been chewing on it all week. Um, and John did mention that in our first season we covered, uh, the purge and the purge dealt with cults. And I was in a cult when I was in, uh, in undergrad and a Catholic cult actually. Um, and so it's interesting to me, to hear something from Ratzinger that I actually heard when I was in my cult, which is like the sixties fucked us over, right? Like the sexual revolution created like every problem known to mankind. Right. Um, I, they're probably blaming, you know, like the sixties sexual revolution for Notre Dame being on fire right now, hashtag too soon, but I'm being serious. That's how often I would hear this rhetoric. Um, so it's horrific. Like, I've never heard anything like that. Um, I, it completely takes away uh, the culpability of, of pedophilic priests and also how much celibacy and a distortion of, like, sexuality has to do with, like, the, with the child sex abuse scandals. Um, so for me, it's been a really interesting week because I have no idea what to make of this. From a political, like, drinking some tea, like, point of view, who the fuck approved it? Like, my question is, like, does does old Pope get to put everything out that he wants to put out, and does new Pope have to approve it? Are they, it's honest to God, it's like Cersei and Daenerys. We have a, <laughs> a queen in the north, a queen in the south. Like, who rules? I don't know. They're both really shitty. So, interesting week, yeah. So, for, for a queen in a dress, uh, not a great week for, for Ratzinger, but he hasn't had a great life. He is, honest to God, one of the shittiest human beings. So that's how I, mean, I feel about it, y'all. <laughs> and as my grandmother Elaine would say, I wouldn't run, want to run into that in a back alley. <laughs> I'd sell you to Satan for a corn chip. Um, so the second uh, what the fuck happened this week um, is something that actually, again, hits really close to home. I wanted to highlight it because I don't know what else to do. Um, I live right now in Homestead, Florida, and I want you guys who are listening um, to Google Homestead Florida Child Detention Center. So four miles from my house is one of the largest child detention centers in the country. Um, and none of our Florida representatives have been granted access to this child detention center. So the news in Miami right now is like, what is happening in there? We, no one can get eyes in there. Like no one can, can get in. Uh, we have, it's a private contractor right? So this is very similar to kind of like the private um, prison system where there's no incentive to get people out if these places are making money per body per day. Um, so the number that came out this week is that they have added a thousand children in the last couple months. Uh, these are stolen children. Uh, they are stolen from their parents. Uh, it is there's there's just there's no words to explain just how horrific this is i don't there's i feel very helpless about this like we've gone and we've protested we've done like we are trying uh but this is me saying we need to be awake and we need to hear what's happening um 
we, we love Game of Thrones because it is a show that is the grand narrative of good versus bad and about who gets to be a hero and what do heroes look like. I feel really fucking shitty because I can't do anything about something that horrific uh, near me. So um, I ask everyone to kind of just look, uh, look up the Homestead Child Detention Center. Also find out what is in your surrounding area. Uh, this is, we, we could be heroes and I don't know what that looks like, but I, it's we need to do something so uh it's like a really shitty what the fuck happened this week actually i'm so sorry yeah. john it's like a super downer um super downer. This one's the downer right um it, it'd be impossible for us we are recording today on monday um to ignore the fact that uh notre dame notre dame in paris is on fire uh as we speak um and <laughs> I, I was there actually a year ago, pretty much to this date, and I was very angry at my last time I was at Notre Dame because we did the whole walk around. It was the first time I took um, my husband to Europe. I took him to Paris, and my phone legit got snatched within three seconds of me entering this church. And so um, the last pictures I have of Notre Dame actually were stolen. I don't have them anymore. Um, and it, it's devastating because it's like a thousand years, almost like a thousand years of history. And everyone's like, we will rebuild. And I think it's difficult for people to understand. Yes, I'm sure that the French people will rebuild, but this is like losing pieces of like the, the Gaza pyramids, right? Like it's a testament to like our existence. Um, so, so it's really sad. I remember when I was there and it was beautiful. And it's just beautiful. It's haunting. It was like really haunting in a way for me to watch like the spire fall. Right. Um, especially, I don't know, like, and this just sounds weird of like, you know, when you've been at a place and then something horrific happens, it's like so many people looked out at the Twin Towers for so long and then to see something horrific happen, to see something horrific happen to this, you know, world icon in so many ways, it's just, it's really sad. Right. And it's interesting because like, you know, already, like, apparently on Twitter, there's conspiracy theories. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening with us? Like, what is happening? Like, it's interesting. Um, but I also want to say that it's been really beautiful to see my social media feeds full of pictures of folks, like, of, like, the last time they were in Paris um, at, at Notre Dame and talking about how, you know, how special, like, how that's the heart of Paris, but also this acknowledgement that, like, Look, I, I just did it. I fucking just hated on the Catholic Church, right? With our first post, I, I consider myself a Catholic Church survivor. Notre Dame burning down is not a Catholic issue. It's a human issue. It is a building that carries such historical significance, but also that, like, that shows that there's something bigger than us when we create things as humans, right? Like, I think of, like, when we look at something like, like a song of ice and fire, right? Like today's world tells us like everything that we do, the output, there needs to be a return on investment. Right. And that return. So like all these kids are like now studying how to code and computers and like, we're losing arts and humanities. And like, we forget that some, what makes us human is that we create really beautiful things for no reason other than to share them with others and to share their beauty. And so while it's devastating to see that it's on fire, the most recent news is that they did get most of the historical art out, that the two towers seem to be okay. One of the rows, um, uh, glass stained windows appears to be okay. Um, and then I don't know if, if people have seen this, if you haven't, just Google it. Parisians all along the Seine and around the church were just singing hymns. Um, and I thought that was like, 
it was so beautiful because it's again it's a reminder of the human spirit and we are going through some dark these are dark times harry um like we are going through some dark times as a as a humanity right now so it's beautiful to see people come together um in in what is honestly just kind of like a really sad day like a really sad day i just hope quasimodo got out Yo, Esmeralda. I'm like, I was thinking of God Help, God Help the Outcast, which is like the saddest Disney song ever. So the sequel to The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Well, I guess there already is a sequel. I guess the trilogy is going to be really lit. <laughs> John, too soon, too, too soon. soon. But it's really sad. I mean, how else? Joan Rivers said that if we can't laugh about certain things, then a hundred percent. And like, so, like, it's completely awful. And I stand with everyone. And it's you know, it's. It's just devastating, but we will rebuild and we'll remember the history even more so, I think, because we understand that history is, although it's in the past, it can easily be destroyed. Right. And to end on a funnier note for what the fuck happened this week, since I was like Debbie Downer, our amazing president tweeted out, like, why are they not flying water helicopters over it and just dumping water? And like the French president had to come out and like pretty much be like, shut the fuck up. Like, it's just it's it's mind-blowing so i think it's time for us to transition into the world of game of thrones what do you think john let's do it let's do it (laughs) all right so like we said last week we are going to break this down not as an episode breakdown like bit by bit by bit we are under the assumption that you already saw the fucking episode. So did we. We don't need to watch. If you, you did it, what up? What up? Why are you here? Go watch the episode. Uh, but we're gonna wa- we're gonna walk you through what we think worked, what didn't work, and some of our predictions. So let's start with what worked, John. The new credits. Holy moly. They were super nice. They spent a lot of money on these new credits, like the, the opening sequence. I kept wanting like new credits. Like imagine what new credits would be like after every season, because you think about it, like the game board shifts and changes so much. And like, especially in later seasons, like there was a, there are a lot of shifts, like certain houses no longer existed, but like nothing in the game board changed. And I just loved how they, their attention to detail this season is something I'm really paying attention to. Right. From the very beginning, like it's like, okay, here's the detail. Well, and obviously, like, pretty much we, since the the opening sequence always kind of highlights where we're going to be in every episode, it's interesting because we knew we were primarily going to be up in the north, right? We get a little bit of King's Landing, but but then I was kind of taken aback that the crypts are, a, like, we went into the crypts of Winterfell in the opening season, uh, like, sequence. And I think that's interesting because that makes me think that a large part of the battle of Winterfell and this um, battle with the Night King, like the crypts are going to play a large part, which uh, I'm going to predict is how we get to see some of our favorite folks come back to life. So, and by come back to life, I mean, come back to death, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. I definitely last night. And for those of you just listening, we're recording this Monday, the day after the episode aired. Um, I definitely got the sense last night that like, we're going to see people that we haven't, seen in a really long time in some way shape or form so i'm i'm really interested to see like kind of what that looks like right so i think one of the things that a lot of us were really hoping for and we definitely got it last night that that worked for me was family reunions uh and then and like 
and meetings, like people meeting each other for the first time. Um, it was Which almost felt weird because some of them you're like, wait, they haven't met. And you're, you know, it's just like, cause you, you have, you make up stuff in your mind. Well, and also I guess I, I didn't realize we've spent seasons and seasons waiting for people to meet or to see each other. And then we get like eight of these like hellos in one episode. And it was almost like, it was like one after the other, after the other of like, oh, I've been waiting for this for six years. I've been waiting for this for six years. And so it was interesting to get it all in one episode. So I think if we're going to start, um, I, we obviously, I think I was very impressed with the parallels of this episode's entrance of John and Daenerys to when, uh, Robert Baratheon and Cersei come in the first episode of the first season, right? Like there were, wow. it was lovely. Like there's like that poetic kind of like, oh, we're definitely mirroring that, that first episode. And so I was kind of trying to keep an eye out for like, if they're mirroring that episode, they want us to see how the characters have shown growth, right? Um, so the first hello we get um, is John and Sansa. And I'm gonna, I, I think it's warm. Like I, honest to God, I think Sansa obviously is now like a very reserved, I, she's my, she's brilliant. She's my favorite character, but she's very reserved. But like, they've gone through some shit at this point, right? And so there's like a, a, a very real love in their embrace that first season we know for a fact Sansa had very little patience for John, right? Yeah, um, 100%. 100%. Uh, John and Bran is a more interesting hello. <laughs> that queen. <laughs> Bran is the MVP of this episode. He had by far the best line in the entire episode, which we'll get into in a second. But my God, I am living for the amazing amount of gifts that can come out of just this one episode with Bran. Um, and it's if you slow down the scene where John, he's obviously thrilled to see Bran. If you remember from season one, he was devastated. Because remember, like, Catelyn Stark is furious that John comes in to say goodbye to Bran because he's still in like a coma and she's so furious that he's coming to say bye and he he bears her fury to say goodbye to a brother that he loves so I love that they get to see each other again I feel bad for John because like three-eyed raven Bran is like broken man <laughs> like he's just not okay girl ain't okay He's not okay, but he's hilarious because when Sansa meets Danny and they are, I don't think they're sparring. I think Sansa's like, I, rightfully so, like a little bit hesitant, right? <laughs> Brand's like, ain't nobody got time for this. Like, those are like, literally, he's like, we don't have time for this, um, which I thought was the best line in the entire Deadpanned. Episode deadpan like yo i don't know like no no one's swinging dicks here <laughs> like the night king's coming uh which i thought was great and then were you excited about john and aria seeing each other again tears in my eyes i know it was really beautiful i was <laughs> like again we've waited how long uh, forever i mean they haven't seen each other since season one like episode two since needle since he gave her needle and so yeah. Again, paralleling that that first episode, um, for me, the highlight of that that hello, for, I, it's interesting because John tries to relate to the Arya he left behind, right? So he's like, he, like he's kind of like ragging on Sansa, right? Sansa a bit, and then Arya was like, "No, Sansa's like the smartest person I know." 
and also well, it just shows like, that their bond got super close and that like well, everything that we thought about like is true with those two right now right and then she says and she she like she pretty much is like we're here to protect our family which is aria echoing sansa's like sorry but like again the lone wolf dies the pack survives but that is a ma- that is a moment that in season one we could never have imagined like we could never have imagined a moment when Arya would defend Sansa and tell John to like kind of like sh- like shape up man I thought it was just beautiful it was and the fact that like she snuck up on him because he's like a pretty seasoned warrior right and it's like I just get the feeling like Arya could definitely kill like pretty much probably everyone on the show and like she's scary as fuck still. <laughs> I, I love when he's like, have you used your, have you used the sword? She's like once or twice. Once or twice. <laughs> I was like, oh. I make a, mi- a wicked turkey sandwich with this thing. Right, right. So other things that worked for me. So we talked a little bit about Sansa having trepidation with with Daenerys arriving and she's not wrong when she's like I'm sorry but how the fuck are we supposed to feed your Dothraki and your dragons and every single human being that's here like what is going on like those are not obnoxious Sansa season one I want to be a princess questions those are the questions any reasonable leader should be asking right um it's similar to Lady Mormont being like, why the fuck did you bend the knee, dude? <laughs> we made you king, which I love. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate Lady Mormont. I know she's like your favorite character, but she's worn a little bit on me in the episode. And I don't know, like I definitely see where Sansa's coming from, but I'm loving the side eye. And like all it is pictures like Bran, like, constantly in the background like staring at people saying we don't have time for this <laughs> ain't nobody got time for that ain't nobody so, and, got time. I, and i think this stems from the fact that you and i fundamentally disagree on danny ending up on the throne so yes. i will burn things if daenerys targaryen ends up on the throne i know that's an un- unpopular opinion get your uh, matches ready Right. But so I understand Sansa. I understand Lady Mormont when, when they're like, what? And we'll talk about this a little bit more when we talk about some of the stuff that didn't work for me. Uh, But Lady Mormont being Lady Mormont is always going to work for me. Like she's everything I want to be when I grow up. Everything. yeah, I mean, she she's an amazing character that take on a house and a role really young. And you see the just how powerful and how much her life has been shaped by that decision. Right. I still think she's going to die, but... She's definitely dead. <laughs> but it'll be okay. So, so I know we disagree on... And I don't want it to be like Team Sansa, Team Danny, I, but I know we disagree there. But the tension between them, did it work for you? Um, there's a level of like it worked and it didn't work. There's a certain level of like it can go really cheesy or it can be really good acting. They flirted with it a little bit because definitely like Twitter took like very well advantage of the fact that like there's definitely a shade and a side eye battle going on. But I think for the sake of it, it did work for me at the moment. And what happened to get me to the other side of it working more is um, Sansa's uh, conversation with John like when she kind of lets down her Sansa guard and it's just like, she's very pretty, you know, and she kind of does compliment her a lot, but she will not compliment her in public. And that's very specific. 
in that scene, she says, did you bend the knee because you're in love? I felt like that was like a critique of like, great dude. Like, Well, she's really smart. And I think like Tyrion and with Arya setting it up saying like Tyrion going like, most people always underestimated you and most of them are dead now. Right. Everyone Arya. underestimated you and now everyone's dead. And I was think that, that she's coming line? to her own and she's coming to her own where she's just a skilled a leader as John. She just doesn't have a sword. Well, so interesting. I think that Danny's dialogue is awful. So I cannot figure out yet if it's a character flaw, right? Or if it's bad writing. So like, it makes no sense to me. And we'll go into stuff that didn't work, but, but the tension between them, part of the reason that I think, like you said, it works and it doesn't work is everything Sansa's doing, her lines, everything makes sense. Daenerys is starting to not make sense. My only, my only way of, and, and by not make sense, I'm saying that like, she's just saying nonsensical things and making kind of irrational decisions and also saying irrational things that like, are not strategic in the Game of Thrones. And the only way I can explain that to myself is she's going mad. Uh, that is her, her legacy. I don't know. We'll talk a little bit more about that with what didn't work. But you touched on Tyrion and Sansa. I was very excited to see how they would react to each other. Yeah, I mean, they haven't seen each other since Joffrey's, um, you know, since the, the wedding right. where he died. One of the most <laughs> satisfying kills in the entire book um, and show, obviously. But um, yeah, I definitely think Tyrion and Sansa, they share a really great connection and they were kind of there for each other. And I think they respect each other for both surviving. Tyrion definitely has a lot of respect for Sansa. But I think Sansa kind of looked at him and said, like, we're good. Like, you never, yes. like, you never, like, tried to rape me. You never tried to, which everyone tried which to do. Which she like, said to John. Yeah. She had said to John, he was extremely respectful. I trust him. What I thought was interesting was that she says you are you i thought you were the smartest man in the world but if you think so, cersei's marching north you you're done yeah right she is the only person who is who in the entire north leadership right who's like guys she's not coming yeah she's i think she coming. might even save jamie in the end because jamie obviously is riding north alone it'll be very interesting to see how she reacts to to jamie but Tyrion and sansa was very exciting to see them their mutual respects is still there you can it, it, and like he says it you know it's right for you to be afraid of of cersei coming north and i thought that was interesting because like i don't think sansa's afraid she's think, not afraid of cersei I don't think she's afraid. i don't think so either i i actually think it'd be very interesting for them to see each other again um, I don't know if we're going to get that. So we'll yeah. see. Um, so here's something that worked for you, but it did not work for me. So I'm going to let you go in hard on this. Talk to me about the dragon. how hard I'm going to go into it. Talk to me about dragon this, writing. But this is like where I will agree with you. It's like they're going to have to walk a very fine line with a romantic storyline, specifically between John and Danny, but also then Danny's um, like what she says throughout the rest of the show because they can make her seem like a completely different character and that she's like this fool in love and all of these other things that she's really not or that we haven't built up to for the last seven seasons and so the dragon writing scene it skirted that line for me but at the end of the day i'm really glad because i took it more like um within the myth of the books and kind of the backstory of like only targaryens can ride dragons so it's like ding 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 like john's getting on a dragon he's finally mounting it and like 
you know, he's doing it because he wants to impress Danny, but it says a lot that the dragons are like, okay, you can ride me. Right. I but, just kind of like the CGI of it as well. I thought it was a really cool scene. This, the CGI was actually really gorgeous. Yeah. Like, it worked for me in those realms. Like, as, like, a first date, like, let's take a magic carpet ride, Aladdin, like, movie. <laughs> like, like oh shout God. out. Like, totally get it why you did not like it. Holy shit, I had not thought of Aladdin. But now I'm going to actually want to superimpose a whole new world on that scene. You... Yeah should do that and we should definitely tweet that for us well i am going to work on that t- tomorrow when i'm at work <laughs> so i when i'm gonna wait to break down why that didn't work for me uh but i appreciate the cgi um that that's about the nicest thing i can say about it um the i dragons was are beautiful though of course they are. I mean, yes. I love the dragons. I love the idea of dragon riding. I think I've said this before, but like if you have not read the Blacks and the Greens, which is in the Dangerous Women compendium uh, that breaks down kind of the era of dragon riders, um, it's written by George R. R. Martin, obviously. It's like probably my favorite piece of writing that he's done. Love it. Don't love the dragon riding scene. We'll talk about it. Um, did love, and it I, I felt very, very, like, like I got to close a chapter last night with Theon rescuing Yara. So I, I, I know Theon's kind of a character that's divisive. Like for some people, it's like, I've had enough. For me, he is one of the best performances in the entire show. And I needed him to get a redemption arc that worked for me. So him going back for Yara, being able to, to liberate Yara to also... like technically hand the kingdom the kingdom to her and be like you are my queen like not because he's a eunuch but because he thinks his sister deserves it and is a better leader and then for yara to be like you want to go fight for the starks don't you which harkens back to that conversation he had with john um last season where he was like you are both a Greyjoy and a stark right like and then, and he told him, like, go rescue Yara. And then Yara's like, go rescue your brother, John. And not rescue, but like, go be with him as well. I think the duality of the fact that he could be loyal to both was really beautiful. Um, oh, it just, it really, really worked for me. I think I'm very what it excited. comes down to for me is honesty. And that Theon, for most of the show, is never able to be honest about who he really is was right and i think when it comes down to being a Greyjoy or a stark he plays that role in both realms but he's finally able to like say to his sister like no i'm gonna go fight with my other family my adoptive family like you're my you know birth family but and i love you but i I love them as well but i love them as well and i also saved you way early on in the season than i would have ever have thought like i was like oh they're clearing up this storyline real fast Right. So this this is where I changed my prediction from our our recap that we did last week. I think now that Theon has had his redemption arc, Theon is fair game to die pretty soon. But I am okay with him dying up north with the Starks because Theon is now at peace with being both a Greyjoy and a Stark. So it's going to break my heart, but I'm okay with it. This was a this was just the perfect this it was it was perfect for me. Yeah, I definitely, and also because it looks like the battle for Winterfell, like the big battles, like coming up in like episode three, like a lot of yeah. people are about to die. 
Yeah, I agree. So that was great. Um, now if I wanted to talk about something that worked for me, but did give me inner cringe was the triangle of Gendry, the Hound and Arya. I thought it was such one because I think this episode struggled with some cheesy dialogue, all of it coming from Daenerys's mouth. This was a scene that was just fucking funny and it worked like it just worked. Um, so the hound scene, Arya again, when last time they saw each other, she left him for dead pretty much. Um, they aren't able to say like, it's good to see you. I'm glad you're alive. I'm I like, I care about you. They, they kind of spar words, but it's a great moment because at the end of the day, I really do think Arya cares about the hound and the hound cares about Arya. They had that moment where they kind of looked at each other. And it, it was, was like, great. It was great. They're definitely not setting it up as a love thing. I think. No, no, no. It's like a dad daughter. Like, yeah, it's, it's like a, oh, you, you survived. And now you're probably like a crazy ass killer. Proud. Right. Gendry, on the other hand, was 100% flirting with Arya. And I am 100% positive Arya was flirting back, which... She was definitely flirting back. Because she's still, she's still a girl. You know, she's still Arya. She's, she's a woman now. She's no, a woman. It's, no, it's she's funny. a lady. Exactly, because he calls her my lady. And like, I was like, it's funny because I, I also like the idea that we don't need to desexualize and to desexualize Arya to the point where any part of her femininity is bad, right? So like similar to how the excessive femininity was pinned as bad on Sansa, making the lack of femininity, and I'm using those terms in such air quotes because I don't fucking like them to begin with, but but I like the fact that like, yeah, Arya's interested in a dude and some dick and that is fine. She is still Arya. She's still a badass motherfucking killer. And like she is what she is, right? Um, so I thought that was great. Um, I loved I love Gendry. So you know, I had said I'd be cool if he ended up with Sansa. I'm kind of cool with Sansa not ending up with anyone and just ending up on the throne. But but I am I am now shipping Gendry and Arya. Well, you mentioned Sansa. So speaking of queens, we just need to talk about Bran real quick. <laughs> Bran's my new favorite queen. That girl is thirsty for drama. So every like. I, I'm not thrilled with his, like, detached Three-Eyed Raven performance. That's not his fault. I think it's a very strange decision to dehumanize him. But but I also understand that, that to a certain extent, Bran's just not there anymore. The Three-Eyed Raven's there. But he, like, he's so shady. He's so shady, like, and, and, and in hilarious ways, because it's like he's holding all these receipts, but, like, he's not particularly doling them out when everyone needs them. Like, he's still holding them close to his heart and kind of pulling them out as he sees fit, which I think is great. Yeah. Queen loves drama. Right. Speaking of queens, this is something that worked for me just because it made me laugh. Cersei really fucking likes elephants. Don't we all? I mean, don't we all? I was like, this This is the one silly fact I can think of regarding this character in, in like eight, eight seasons of the show. Where it's yeah. like I completely related. I'd be pissed too if I had signed up for elephants and none showed up. She's like, um, I paid for the elephant package. I don't know where they are. Right. right. Also, Euron is like totally the worst UPS driver ever. 
God, Euron looks like he needs a shower. Uh, we'll talk about Euron. So I think now we're gonna we're gonna go into the meat of what worked in this episode. Uh, there's quite a bit that you and I disagree on. So um, let's start with. Well, actually, let's let's close out Bran for a second. So I thought. It was hilarious. Again, there was humor in this episode that when Sam, after his encounter with Danny, which we are about to go through, runs outside and runs into Bran, he, Bran's like, you need to tell John who he's from. And Sam's like, oh, why can't you do it? And he goes, I'm waiting for my friend. And he's clearly waiting for Jamie, right? Uh, which is going to be a very, very awkward encounter, which we get. I love that scene and how they ended the episode. I thought it was hilarious because it was like, well, first off, I was like, who leaves a cripple outside overnight where he's covered in snow? Because he's monsters, wait- right? Because he's waiting for his friend. Um, Can you which- imagine, like, when they're like Sansa walks by him and goes, "Hey, Bran, it's like kind of cold," and he's like, "I'm waiting for my friend." And then like Arya walks by him and goes, "Um, Bran, it's like super." He's like, "I'm waiting for my friend." It's like, such- everyone just walks by him and he says the same monotone answer, "I'm waiting." Also, if he knows everything, he knows he's not arriving until like 7 a.m. tomorrow. So why the fuck are you waiting outside, Bran? Like, what is happening? But I did think that that was like a hilarious kind of like, not a joke, but like once you realize what he means, we know Jamie's heading north. I was like, oh, okay. All right. So speaking of Sam coming out and, and talking to the Three-Eyed Raven, um, you and I had very different reactions to to the scene where Daenerys informs Sam of the death of the Tarleys. So um, the scene, I, th- I think we can, where we can agree. So Daenerys coming down to thank Sam for taking care of, of Jorah and the, um, and, and the way in which she's like, very sanctimoniously like I, i'm here to thank you for saving like sir jorah's life or whatever that feels authentic to me right um that feels like it that works um when the, when she figures out who samuel tarley is right the way in which she tells him i burned your father <laughs> i burned your brother doesn't does not work for me um Sam's reaction is probably the best acting of the night for me. Um, I was heartbroken. So we know that Sam's dad is a total like douche nozzle, right? Like he's the one who sent Sam to the wall because he was fat and chubby and not as cute as the really tall one, <laughs> like as Dickon, right? We know from That's when real. he, he um, he's delicious. I know. Um, uh, but when he takes Gilly home, we know that he loves his mom. We know that he loves his brother and that really like the dick is his dad. Right. So when Daenerys is like, I, I gave your dad the option to bend the knee and he didn't. Um, Sam's facial expression is one of, of kind of like surprise and, and sadness, but like, and then, like, then here's where my heart broke. He goes, so I guess that means I can finally go home, like, because my brother would let me go home, right? And then when he finds out his brother died for no reason whatsoever, which we can go into in a minute, 
his face changes. It's the realization that like what Daenerys has done is not right. Uh, so, so Sam's reaction to me is perfection. What is happening with Danny and Jorah is mind-blowingly dumb for me. I cannot imagine. I don't understand the the freer of slaves, right? This version of Danny that is not empathetic, like that in that moment, like she doesn't move. She's not even apologetic about it, right? She's just kind of like, well, they didn't fucking bend the knee. Well, it is a wartime decision. I mean, I got a side with my girl here who's going to end up on the throne. But I mean, <laughs> like, they didn't. And they were part of the Cersei. So by Felicia, like, they didn't bend the knee. And Dickon was a moron. And he's just kind of like, I'm going to go down with my dad. I mean, I just didn't feel like Sam. It didn't work for me because I was like, oh, I didn't know Sam really cared about his family Sam that much. Sam is the but. softest hearted person on this show he desperately wanted his family's love his dad's love the scene opens with him apologizing for stealing a book and a sword like he is so kind remember he takes in gilly and 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 baby sam and like he i mean everything about samuel tarley is tender and so i there i just can't and again like Everything about his performance and his reaction is true to Samuel Tarley. The Daenerys that stands there and is kind of like, mm hmm, is the Daenerys that we're going to talk about why she doesn't work for me. Um, I will say what did work for me as a big nerd was how cute it was that he did feel real bad he stole some books. Because, like, just kind of like, dude, like, I'm like going to go with my main queen girl brand here and be like, uh, there are bigger things happening here, Sam. Get over it you're probably going to die. Let's be real. See, and here's where I'm going to tell you, you're absolutely wrong. I so, think he's going to live. They're going to let him live. Totally. I th Well, I think, I think Sam is the one who's writing a song of ice and fire in the future as a grand maester. Where oh, I think that's you, a great way to think about it. Right. Yeah. yeah that's a wonderful way to he's think. He's the about one it. who's writing the histories. What I think you're wrong on is this is not unimportant. It's not unimportant because we see it play out when, when Sam tells John his true parentage. But also, Daenerys lacking empathy is extremely important as we get closer and closer to who sits on this, on this throne. So, yeah, no, I'll, I'll give you a little bit there. But I do go back and say, like, it was a wartime decision. And Can we talk about that wartime decision, though? When it was about to happen, who was advising her not to do it? The, uh, Tyrion. Um, Tyrion. Tyrion was horrified. Horrified. He begged well, her. He says not it to. reminded her him of her father. Right. He asks her not once, not twice, three times not to do it. He begs her to send at least Dickon to the wall. Like begs her. And then we have a scene back at Dragonstone where Varys looks at Tyrion. And remember, the spider is kind of our puppeteer, right? He knows what's up. And he's like, the Varys was like, what the fuck? And he was like, if she doesn't listen to us, we're fucking doomed. Like I was there for the Mad King. That that decision is I think the domino that is going to undo Daenerys Targaryen. Burning the Tarleys is not a minor thing. It is actually the undoing of Daenerys. And I'm gonna stand by that. And 
I can't wait for you to tell me I was right um, <laughs> or to tell me I was so fucking wrong. Um, so before we jump into stuff that just did not work in this episode, I think we got our first actual humongous fucking scare last night. It was amazing. I jumped the fuck out of my, my, like, my chair. I noticed his eyes open like right at the last second. So I was, I, I didn't, I didn't expect the like shrill scream, but like, I was like, Oh, I see it. I screamed so loud. I screamed so loud. And I should have known because that exact setup is the setup again in the first episode when we get the, 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 um, the, the Night's Watch folks that are looking for the wild, that's the exact setup. We know that, but nothing in my head was like that the Umber kid's about to, to, to wake up. Like, I definitely had my first jump. Um, it, I knew I he was dead, though, the moment they sent him back. I'm like, yeah, he's not coming back. Yeah, he's not coming back. Uh, <laughs> no, no, sir. Uh, that was a beautifully done scene. It was terrifying um, and yet visually stunning. Uh, I'm a suck... With, We've talked about this. We covered The Purge the first season. I'm a sucker for horror. I am a particular sucker for, like, cinematic images that stay with you. Like, that create that, like, boom, right? That image, especially once the arms start burning in that very particular kind of sigil, I was just like, this is gorgeous. Like, it's terrifying, but it's gorgeous. So, very, very excited. Um, okay. The... Final thing that we need to talk about before we jump into stuff that didn't work. I thought, I think we're on the same page. I thought the scene where Sam tells John his true parentage was perfection. Yeah, I really enjoyed the location they put it on. I like that they focused just on John's face. And ultimately at the end, you see John coming to the realization that Ned, the most honorable man in the whole books, his father, right? Kind of like with a Theon thing with, you know, being a Greyjoy and a Stark. But now you have John being like, what I knew isn't actually true. And, you know, Sam kind of has to remind him like, no, like he was the most honorable man still, but like he was protecting you. I mean, he kind of right. has to catch up to where we kind of already all are. Right. Um, and the shadow of his actual mother's, um, tomb like off in the distance when you're just looking at his face i thought it was amazing imagery oh can i make it even sadder for you so yeah. someone on twitter pointed out if you remember the last time ned and john spoke ned said the next time we see each other i will tell you about your mother so sam literally tells john in front of the statue of ned um so it is actually the next time they saw each other right that's his tomb um, which I thought was great. Um, I also thought that John's initial reaction of, of, of rage, that the most honorable man that he knows, like, why would he have lied to me my whole life? That is such a John reaction, right? That is such a John reaction. And then how quickly when Sam, like you said, when Sam's like, he had to protect you. You are literally the heir to the seven kingdoms, my friend. And it's, and it's so funny because John's like, that's treason. I'm like, the fuck it's treason. <laughs> and like, I love, and again, I know we're going to disagree here. I love when Sam asks John, did you know about my brother and my dad? And, um, and John says, you died 
for your men and with like with the night's watch would she die for anyone to give up her crown and i think that seed is planted i know i know he's in love with her i know john's in love with danny even though based off the dialogue and everything it doesn't make sense um or maybe i'm just not shipping them i don't know but once that seed is planted of doubt it's similar to when lady oleana planted the seed with jamie and was like she's going to be the end of you sam saying she like pretty much she would never give up her crown to save people the crown means more to her than people i think is it it, it was the perfect moment to say it i think john's going to really struggle not with understanding how this all works but this is a guy who keeps getting handed titles he doesn't want right like he he just wanted to be a dude who rode a horse behind the wall and he has slowly climbed his way up all the way now to the heir to the seven. But that's because he wanted to be a, a man of the night's watch because he was lied to for so long. Right, right. But but then he becomes Lord Commander, then he becomes the the king in the north. Now he is the heir to the seven kingdoms. And this is a guy who had I think spent most of his life trying to make himself small, right? Like it's Danny's trying to make herself big. Right. And last week when I said to you, I feel like John would be a better, more compassionate leader. I feel that very strongly now because now that now we can, now we can walk into the stuff that didn't work and we can start with Daenerys. Danny's entitlement to the throne is becoming more and more apparent. And like, I loved the scene where Euron and Cersei, I, I don't think it made any sense, but when, when Cersei says you have to earn a queen, I'm not sure Daenerys understands that she has to earn the respect of people, right? Like, and so for me, John makes, it makes sense why Sam's like, you're the better choice. And it's not, it's not for anything other than you, than you are kinder and obviously more level-headed and you've earned people's respect and like you are sacrificial in nature. Uh, whereas I, I just, those are not words I'm attributing to Daenerys anymore. Oh, you hate her. I really am confused by the writing that they're doing for Daenerys right now. John, explain to me the scene where she's like, your sister doesn't like me, to John, And, and then she's like, she doesn't have to be my friend, but she needs to respect me. I'm her queen. If well, someone she's said not wrong. That, but if someone said that to you, what is your reaction? Well, Fuck you. <laughs> like, I don't I owe mean, you like, shit. I mean, but John bent the knee to her. And if John is honorable, just like he claims to be and you know i also think that she's being honest with him and him only and opening up in that way because she's into him sansa called it she pretty much says you bent the knee because you are in love with her that is a very dangerous reason to follow someone ask jamie lannister how dangerous it is to follow a mad queen yeah I mean, I definitely think we're going to see a lot more of the game play out when we're right. done with the battle for Winterfell and who remains. Right. So yeah, none of the, like all of Daenerys's like dialogue for me was problematic. The writing was problematic. Obviously not Amelia Clark's performance. I love Amelia Clark. I just think they're giving her really weird material where it's like very stale, like dialogue. And then when it gets corny, it's just corny, but not in a good way. And then when she's like demanding like respect, it comes across really like awful. Um, I don't like the idea that, how do I say this? I don't like the idea that what I'm starting to see them write is that all strong women are dangerous women 
who inevitably become hysterical and mad women. I don't like that because honest to God, this is a woman-centered story other than John. And all of a sudden, Cersei's clearly mad. Uh, Arya is a fucking assassin who, like, it, I love Arya, but she's she's crazy and an assassin and a murderess. Danny is clearly becoming another mad queen. And then Sansa is also ruthless, right? And and I think, like, there, it's problematic for me that, like, this might be the direction we're going. And then and then what Jon Snow rides in and saves the day I don't know but I'm nervous I'm nervous because I for a very long time have said has said George R. R. Martin writes very strong women so I'm going to put a footnote there these are no longer George R. R. Martin's women these are Game of Thrones writers women uh but I'm concerned I'm, I'm concerned we're gonna have to see how it plays out right right uh so do you think the what did you think of Euron and Cersei sleeping with each other? Over it. Yeah, I was like, no. No. I just I wanted her to just kill him right there and be like, bye. I, there, I, I Thanks just for the ships. Right. Fucking I forgot my elephants, but, bitch. Right. Like there's no version of Cersei in my head that was like, yeah, I just need a fuck. And then Euron is who she First off, he's not her type. They're not related. And second of all, yeah, like the only thing that made sense once she had the Golden Company is to get rid of this guy who's clearly deranged. I, it's just, it was really, really, a, again, very weird writing. It, it made no sense for her character. Yeah. No, yeah. So we but, talked about, for you, Sam being upset that his family died did not work? Yeah, I'm just a monster, though apparently because okay. i'm just kind of like yeah i will say you and i are both burn the bridge type of people right i i would not say that i not either one of us are very forgiving people when someone does some bullshit so i can understand why it's hard to believe like because i would not shed a tear like i, I want to be like they kicked you out like i i would have expected that reaction if you'd be like hey she also went back and like fired up your mom like and your sister <laughs> like that's who i thought he was more connected to john we're just not as good good of people as sam <laughs> we're just yeah. we're just heartless that's true right um so the dragon riding is uh, we have been waiting for an acknowledgement of john being a targaryen for eight eight seasons we know for a fact that the only people who can ride or even touch dragons are Targaryens. Do we Danny, think Tyrion's a Targaryen then? I was about to bring that up, 100%. We, not only do I think Tyrion is a Targaryen, I am positive Tyrion's a Targaryen. If everyone remembers, I think it's season five in Marine when he takes the shackles off the dragon. Mm -hmm. That is a huge nod to, to everyone of like, Yo, he's got Targaryen blood. There is no other reason the dragons would let him do that. Here's who would know that. Daenerys Targaryen, who grew up knowing the lore, the lore L-O-R-E, of Targaryens and dragons. This is not a, a girl who doesn't know things. She would know, like, she's proud. Her and her brother are proud of being of the, the blood of the dragons, Right. So there is nothing logical about Daenerys seeing Jon Snow get on one of her dragons and her not being like, what the fuck? Yeah. And, and like, and like 
for as cute as our like a whole new world like narrative is that she like it is so stupid they they're hungry they hate the north they would have burned john to a crisp so the fact that that it, that like the writers are like asking us to suspend our belief that that daenerys and john don't know that the only people who can ride dragons are targaryens is dumb it's just dumb at least with Tyrion. Tyrion maybe because he didn't ride one thinks he got very lucky even though he's the most well-read man in all of westeros so again asking me to suspend belief uh it's just, it, I, I was very frustrated with it. Also, like his ride was almost funny. And for a moment that we've waited eight seasons for, I didn't need the moment of him riding a dragon, which is the acknowledgement of his Targaryen blood. I didn't need it to be like a funny date moment. It should have been epic. Like, like Septa Baylor blowing up epic. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was really upset. <laughs> probably too upset Wait, I was how really upset, upset were you i was really upset about it like i honestly it would have been more dramatic for hagrid to come at me like you're a wizard john like it was just so dumb it was so, that fucking date was so dumb uh <laughs> it's so dumb i will say <laughs> i maybe i'm just jealous because no one's ever taken me on a dragon riding date yeah brent brent come on man Come on, we're coming, up, we're coming up on like 11 years together. Get your shit together and get me on a dragon. That's right. Yep, yep. Um, so how would you feel about the, like, the amount of tits in the very weird bronze scene? I just kept going like, oh, here we are again. Wasn't that so dumb? We got through that after season three. Why are we doing the, the gratuitous tits again? Yeah, also I'm just confused in regards to bronze storyline. Uh, someone on Twitter was like, we're just all going to pretend that scene didn't happen. Yeah, and also we're just going to pretend that Bronn's really going to... Like, I feel like we've kind of invested him in a little bit. Like, he's just going to go kill people. There, uh, Look, I, I thought about this a lot last night because I wanted to say there's no version of Bronn that's going to kill Tyrion. Uh, yes, there is. Bronn has told us time and time and time and time again. He is a sellsword. He doesn't give a shit. He is here to make money. So do I think Bronn's going to kill Tyrion and then kill Jaime? I, I don't think so, but it won't be for lack of trying. I, I'm not particularly sure that Bronn has lied to us about any of it. He has said it so many times. I'm like, I kill for money. My allegiance is to my money and myself. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, I don't know. Mm. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll bring it up. Right. Uh, anything else that didn't work for you? I think we've covered a lot of it. Right? I, mean, I think we covered a lot. I hate all women. I checked <laughs> my list. You're a part of the He-Man Woman Hater Club. No, I definitely have to sit there and say, like, I do not want, like, some white man on the throne. Like, I am so over, like, these self-appointed saviors. Like, I just want a woman. Can a woman just rule? Then be elected president of the United States? I'm sorry. I'm still... Right? It's, I, I also want to say that historically, it's just a bad week for this episode because I'm like, oh, so all the women are fucking hysterical and so all the white dudes look a lot more sane. And I'm like, thanks, Democratic Party. Thanks. So I understand yeah. that there's some crossover in my frustration, but George R. R. Martin really has written really wonderful women and this is this would 
definitely be one of the greater literary disappointments of my life if this ends up uh, being a story about a man. But, yeah. but it's, it's not just a man. I, I told you, I, I would love Tyrion on the Iron Throne. I would love Varys on the throne. Like, mm-hmm. it's if it's John, I can't even put my finger it's on too why. too easy. Yeah, I, maybe it's, maybe the fact is I don't want anyone on the throne. I just, I want them to rethink the whole fucking thing. I just have to say, like, especially when we look at, like, our political landscape for the Democratic Party, like, you have all these women that are, like, doing amazing things, and then you have Pete Buttigieg, who I like and, you know, thinks great, but then I see all these, like, thirsty gay men who are totally, like, so appearance, like, focused, like, literally, like, they all have the same haircut, and, like, they're all, like, in love with him, and I'm like, you would have never tapped his photo on any of the apps and now you're just obsessed with them for whatever reason like these people are so superficial when the real substance like and that's where i come at it like with these female characters in the show or like in real life are actually there to provide you with like i don't know saving you all right and which is why i'm like the only one even asking rational questions is sansa but everyone's like yeah but but like John's so nice. And to me, that is very similar to our political system right now, right? But like, um, like one of my mentors says, whiteness is going to white, misogyny is going to misogyny, and racism is going to racism. And, mm-hmm. and we know that Winterfell is dealing with that because I loved the, loved the acknowledgement of the racism towards uh, Grey Worm and Missandei. Where it was like these people from the North had never seen people of color or some natural hair. Like fantasy deals with so much of the stuff that it's our way of working out the human experience, right? So maybe this episode just hits a little close to home right now in general. Also, the Uh, episode was way too short. I really wished it was longer. But I think I had told you in the recap that uh, the first two episodes of the six are regular length. The last four are quite a bit longer than than an hour. So This is just my biggest problem. I've talked about this all the time on like our podcast. It's like I'm so over people making stuff to make stuff. Like whereas they could have not had an extra season and then other things or they could have had a full length season and not made them so long. I'm just kind of so over like creating art for capitalistic sake. And I know that's the world in which we live in, but like for the love of God, like, you know, do we need, would you have preferred this? Would you have preferred season seven to, to just be like the, like 15 episodes versus this kind of drag out or. Yeah. I'm so over like the Sopranos season six, part one and two are the Mad Men final season parts one through seven. Like you're just trying to get us to get money, advertising Emmys awards. Look, do, do what you got to do girl. But like, I'm just so over it because I see right through it sometimes. And especially when like you have shows that are like, Oh, this episode's going to be like one of the best episodes last season was when, you know, Danny wrote in and like totally blazed up everyone in that field. And like, it was like 15 minutes and it's just crazy sometimes. I mean, when we see this and how much we really want more and that we've spent almost a decade with these people, you know, and, don't worry, John. There's five spinoffs in the works. We're going to be living with Westeros for a very long time. I know, but that's yeah. my only other beef. Okay. So our death count for this episode was actually very, very low. One. One. <laughs> Baby Umber. Uh, yeah, but but not for long. I, I think the 
the death counts are going to go up significantly. Oh, and also, I guess all those people you're on killed on the ship or something like that, if I remember. Right. I don't count them, though. Yeah, they're all a bunch of losers like him. <laughs> uh, predictions as we go forward? Anything big? Um, I definitely think shit's about to go down. I think we get that from the preview. Um, Sansa is everything right now. Arya's building some type of secret weapon. When she gave Gendry that, like, thing, like, something's being built there. I think John is about to, and this is kind of, like, with your problem with, like, Daenerys, like, he could go like Dawson on Dawson's Creek season three right now on Danny and like kind of be all like you brought Dawson into this. Yeah. But he could go pretty melodramatic and like have one of those scenes at the end of the dock. Like I'm just, I just hope we don't get there. He's and, probably going to go order of the Phoenix Harry Potter on us. You know, it takes him a bit to kind of get over his feeling sorry for himself. Yeah. Uh, I'm interested to see if like he tells Daenerys in the next episode. Cause like, remember, uh, Varys, uh, Tyrion and Davos were like we should propose a proposal and like so I think things that this whole ball is going to get rolling if they propose a marriage between the two I'm interested to see how quickly Daenerys finds out about who Jon is and also whether or not she believes it I think it's very interesting that people just take Bran's word on things um I, I I've read so much on Game of Thrones and like I mean like I, I could say I'm the three-eyed raven. It doesn't mean I'm the three-eyed raven or that I know shit. So I think that that's interesting. Um, I have a major prediction. So I think I mentioned in the last episode that I had thoughts about Bran. I had thought for a really long time that Bran could be the Night King and that he kind of lives in perpetuity and kind of is in, like the Holy Spirit. He is everywhere and he is all things. Um, I realized during my bitch session about John riding dragons that 100% the Night King has to be a Targaryen because the dragon acknowledges him and lets him ride. And I don't think that that, that is a coincidence. Um, I, I think that the night, the, this is obviously, like we said, we don't get screeners, this is pure speculation. Um, I think that it makes sense for the Night King to be a Targaryen if he can ride um, Viserion. Also, if you think of the sigil of arms around baby Umber, it looks like the Targaryen sigil. It does. It really does. And I it saw was that lit, on Twitter too, right? And it was lit on fire. Yeah. Right. Well, I mentioned it last night and, and to, to my brother and, and my husband. And, like, um, and I said it was very difficult, John. I actually said I was wrong. And like, if it hurt, I was like, it has to be a Targaryen. So... I there's I've got a bunch of questions as to which Targaryen it could be. Uh, there is an episode in like I think it's season six that shows the children creating the Night King. I need to go back and rewatch it. Um, but I, I'm I'm interested to see to see how that develops. Do I think that affects the theory of Tyrion being a a Targaryen? No. Uh, the three-headed dragon still makes sense to me with Tyrion being the third. Um, but I think we've got a... Similar to how surprised John was at how many Starks were walking around Winterfell, I think Daenerys is about to get the shock of her life of how many Targaryens are still left. So that is yeah. something that I, I'm, I'm sitting on for the next episode. 
Well, while you all sit on it and 17.4 million people who watched last night's episode <laughs> sit on it, I think I've said sit on it a lot of times now, we definitely have a lot more to think about and a lot to look forward to. We really do. It's funny. We've waited two years, right, for this episode. And somehow this one week between episode one and two is going to feel so much longer than the two years. Like, I, I'm just already like, oh my God, why is it not Sunday already? So I'm very, very excited for the next episode. Well, everyone, that's it. That's our wrap-up recap of episode one of the last season of Game of Thrones. We will be back next week. Um, Don't forget to tweet us if you agree, if you disagree, if you have theories of your own. If if you you think Marcy's wrong. Right. If you know who the fucking Targaryen, who the Night King is... I want to know why, like, I can't seem to figure this out in my head. But yeah, we want to hear from you. So I am the men who can. J. Erickson85. 85, right? Yep. Yep. Hit us up on Twitter. We will be live tweeting on Sunday. Uh, And we are always so thankful for having you guys listen. And we'll see you, quotation marks like Joey from Friends. We'll see you next week. And hopefully we see Ghost next week, too. You keep dreaming, buddy. (laughs) 